welcome to the Pixo Classroom Podcast, Passion, Innovation, X-Factor, Enthusiasm, and Leadership in the Classroom. I'm your host, Ryan Reed, and you can listen to the Pixo Classroom Podcast on your favorite podcast system. Welcome to episode 54 for February 2021. I hope this short month is bringing you wonderful news and carrying it this time. Today on the Pixel Classroom Podcast, it's just me today. As you can see from the title of this episode, it's all about those heroes in a half shell. That's right, almost 40-year-old property, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now, many are probably thinking, okay, so Ryan, what does this have to do with education? Well, it's actually quite a lot, in fact. TMNT, as it's been referred to over the years, has been not only a staple in pop culture since the mid-1980s, but also has been in STEM, PSA, culture shifts, health, and more in the past couple of decades, and has seen a resurgence of culture again in new TV series, movies, and of course, comic series, which we'll talk a little bit later in the episode. The past six months have been very telling from the launch of, of course, the TMNT Last Ronin about the last remaining Ninja Turtles in kind of a dystopia future by part of the original creators of the series, and I'll talk about a review of that series towards the end of the episode. Episode. So, dudes and dudettes, let's jump right into this episode, properly titled Turtle Power. So, you know, it's very interesting. I brought up this thing because I was uh, talking about this a couple of months ago that I was uh, going to start bringing in some more comics back into the podcast a little bit, not turn this like completely transform this into like, you know, a comic podcast or pop culture podcast, because honestly, I feel like I uh, talk plenty on here between education, entrepreneurship, pop culture, STEM and more, as well as epilepsy awareness, which will be coming up in the next episode after this. So, uh, you know, many people, if you've not been uh, aware of who the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are. They were first a part of the publishing under Mirage Studios back in 1984, back in, of all places, Dover, New Hampshire. Um, the concept really came from a humorous drawing that was sketched out by the orig- one of the original creators, Eastman. He was during a casual evening. He was just uh, talking about things with his uh, partner at the time, John Lard. Um, and basically, they were uh, going over some areas about some brainstorming with it. And believe it or not, they got a loan from Eastman's uncle, which was through a tax refund for a uh, self-publishing of young artists uh, that was going on back in the 1980s. Actually, several comic series were doing this, including the big two, Marvel and DC, uh, as well as some of the earlier pieces of what was Mirage Studios and Tundra Entertainment back in the time. And basically, uh, in spite of a parody, believe it or not, of the current hits from uh, Marvel Comics, basically Daredevil by Frank Miller's original Ronin series too. Uh, And believe it or not, the uh, New Mutants and believe it or not, Day Sims' Long Lost Cerebus comic series, which was actually a thing about mutants in areas uh, from different parts of the martial arts. So um, the Teenage Mutant Turtles series was actually born, created by Ryan Brown, Steve Murphy, Kevin Eastman, as I talked about, and of course, Peter Lard. Um, and the series actually uh, went on to be really an interesting um, hit from the uh, comic studios of Mirage. Believe it or not, the original series actually was reprinted three times times um, between 1985 and 1986 before um, it caught on to, of course, the uh, Mirko Wolf uh, Swenson, better known as NWD uh, Animations, you know, good old Fred Wolf Animations, which if you were a kid in the mid 80s to early 90s, they kind of dominated some of the original uh, animation markets outside of uh, Hanna-Barbera and a couple other studios, which were absolutely incredible. So 
Believe it or not, as a result, of course, Heroes in the Half Shell launched in 1987 with a five-part miniseries uh, with Teenage Mutant Turtles. Uh, these mutants and the heroes in the half shell who were mutated through a villain known as Oroko Saki of the Foot Clan, who was actually... Um, provided the voice by the late and great James Avery. Um, if you made me know that actor, if not, go ahead and look him up. Fantastic voice actor, very fantastic actor and comedian too, and Shakespearean. And away they went. And of course, it led to an ongoing series in 1988. Um, the series was kind of a little hard to find, believe it or not, because there were a lot of people that were not very sure if the series was going to be a hit, even though it was done in syndication and some other popular uh, cartoon channels back in the 1980s. But the series actually found a huge hit was a big thing. They ordered two seasons to have kind of a complete storyline with things and leave it open. But uh, pretty much by the end of uh, the five part mini series, they knew they had a hit series on here. And of course it would go on to be on Saturday morning cartoons uh, through playmates, a uh, toy line and everything from uh, 1987 to believe it or not, the uh, 1997, 96 TV series on CBS where it would find a end of a series of 10 long years and actually ended on a really couple thing. It had several spinoff movies from 1990 to 1995. You know, the third movie, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Story, was not a huge hit in the movie theaters, even though it kind of dealt with time travel and other wacky stuff. But believe it or not, as much as they say um, it worked on the cartoon series, it didn't transfer over to the movies. So uh, at least not with audiences at that time. And it's very, very interesting to the fact that 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 didn't work over. I mean, when the original series launched in cartoon and they depicted it from the original comic series is why they kept more of the ninjutsu and the um, ooze and the mutations and everything else to in the original comic series until the cartoon happened. They wanted to give it a little bit more science fiction, which technically it did. And it kind of went from there, which is really interesting. we got, you know, classic characters like, you know, Bebop and Rocksteady. I mean, a mutant, two mutant gang members. One was a warthog. One was a uh, rhinoceros, which were very violent, very crazy, but they were so uh, lack of intelligence and comic relief um they had everything but then you had an alien from another dimension krang who basically was a living brain inside an android body who gave the shredder aka rokosaki who actually kicked off the series and the turtles main enemy from day one uh into a very science fiction area and it was very interesting um how this all worked and when the movie came out in 1990 it was really funny because um it was a it was a hit movie but a lot of kids were expecting more like the cartoon and then they actually went with the original comic series origins with uh splinter you know who was the ninja turtles mutant uh sensei he was a rat in the cartoon series Series. He was actually the original Amato Yoshi, who was betrayed by uh, Rokosaki and, of course, had a flood to America, lived underneath the uh, sewers because he was very poor and penniless. And then, of course, um, Shredder followed him and planning on killing him with the mutant uh, mutagen, the ooze, as it's been known as um, for over the years. And, of course, it mutated four turtles that he had found that had fallen down a sewer drain and uh, him into a giant rat because he was in contact with rats. And the turtles, of course, more humanoid. And why that was very similar to the comic, the original comic series, Splinter really was a rat that had been mentored and kind of in a kind of more of a Zen state was uh, the reincarnation of Amato Yoshi, who did die at the hands of Shredder um, after that. So it was really interesting how the movie actually went back to those origins. And despite some uh, audiences who were kind of shocked that it went to that series versus the cartoon, especially parents of the kids who had watched it with them, actually really liked it. And it stayed very well for the first two movies, which were released a little over a year apart from 1990. 
1992-1991 um, before the uh, gap in the movies until 1995 because uh, a lot of studios did not know where to go, which was New Line at the time with the storyline because they felt it kind of had a conclusion at the end of the second one, but it came back and of course the director at the time uh, wanted to do time travel, go to the origins of ninjas back in feudal Japan and so forth and why it's Actually, now people look at it years later. Uh, I do remember actually going to the movie theaters, watching a preview for it, and the entire audience groaned because by then, many of those kids who were very enjoyed into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had grown up or were teenagers. So, you know, all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, whatever. I'm not a little kid anymore, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it it, it was an interesting shift at that time. But, you know, it's very interesting. But, you know, it, it the, the, the Turtles actually went away for a little while, but they were still always in the background from various things. I mean, they had the comic series, which uh, launched here because eventually Mirage Studios closed down. Dark Horse Comics took over Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They had crossovers, including Batman and other various series. Um, then, of course, they got under the current one, which is under IDW comic series. But, you know, the Turtles never really were down. They just, I don't think, were in the forefront as people thought they were. And, of course, they came back in 2003, which were launched on a uh, Fox, the old Fox Kids uh, Saturday morning log one. And that would actually last for a good uh, um, several years and actually was a little bit more rooted in the original series. But still took some of the science fiction um, efforts. But they were trying to be a little bit more closer to the uh, comics and the original stories. And then that lasted for a little while. And then Nickelodeon got the rights. They launched the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3D movie, which was pretty amazing. And then that launched into an ongoing series from 2012 to 2017 until the current uh, uh, animated series, which is on Nickelodeon at 2018. But, um, you know, it's very interesting. But Teenage Mutant Turtles was a series that many thought was not really going to go past more than two years, even though it was a big hit afterwards. I mean, the comic series, many people didn't really know outside the big two, like I said, Marvel and DC Comics. But the Turtles really defined all odds and launched many voice actors' careers at the time. Um, also, was just a fixation on pop culture, but in education. But how in education, may I ask? Well, STEM being one of the biggest one. Uh, out of all four Turtles, Donatello. Um, which was very interesting. Actually, he was a favorite of mine for a number of years before Michelangelo uh, took over that. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But he was the inventor of the group. And believe it or not, many uh, children uh, saw the character who worked on inventions, was uh, actually a hero who was not afraid to, as they say, be nerdy and inventive, really kind of large. Believe it in my own school at the time, there were a lot of kids that started creating a lot of STEM projects and related exercise projects based on the Ninja Turtles. There was actually kind of this um, STEM relaunch for a lot of kids who want to do that. Um, skateboards were huge, um, even though Tony Hawk was still a staple in the skateboard uh, industry, just as he is now. And God bless you there, uh, Tony Hawk. But there was really a surge of skateboards or a lot of PSAs where the turtles were very hard about eating healthy, um, no, say no to the drugs and drinking and so forth. But believe it or not, one of the biggest STEM things that came out was not in school, but was actually pizza craze. Um, one thing a lot of creators said, including Eastland said, you know, the only thing I didn't think worked well in the cartoons, I think they went too crazy with them being so obsessed with pizza. And I remember actually <laughs> watching the second episode where April O'Neil, who was the human uh, contact with the turtles, and she was a news reporter for a local channel, channel six <laughs> the turtles had pizza and they were putting cereal toppings from cocoa puffs to cornflakes and it's just so funny as april's looking at him like what are you doing <laughs> and it's so funny actually as the series progressed you saw the turtles doing a lot of weird things with pizza and i'm not talking about like mushrooms or veggies or you know meat lovers or pepperoni or and even anchovies which was funny because you know they actually did like anchovies which made sense they were turtles but there was just all these different type of culture um, changes with pizza from spinach to areas to, you know, mushrooms to 
to believe it or not, Sicilian style pizza. Because there also was just this cultural change that happened with pizza toppings. And believe it or not, um, <laughs> we had a local pizza place here and they're still around today and we love you. But he decided to actually do a couple of uh, different types of toppings because his kids were big fans of turtles, too. And they were friends of mine. Actually did a couple of, you know, what he called the turtle pizzas where he actually did some different styles and different areas from extra garlic to every area things and believe it or not they actually were kind of hits with a lot of the kids at the time because they wanted to try these different toppings and it came to the interesting fact that don't knock it until you try it and it was really interesting and believe it or not if you think of all the uh, pizza chains now or ones over here even individual lines it just you know you have some very weird toppings for pizzas that back in the mid to late 80s was kind of think of, oh, that's gross. Or, oh, how could you eat that? And it actually changed them. So there was a lot of STEM craze in culinary arts as a result of the turtle. So it was really an interesting thing. And, you know, I talked about the different things. But another one was martial arts. Believe it or not, there was a surge of a lot of kids and adults joined various martial art programs through universities, local dojos, and so forth. And there was actually this resurgence. I mean, Karate Kid kind of kicked it all off um, with the whole thing. And we all know about the Cobra Kai series right now. But it was interesting where you just had this resurgence, like the Karate Kid kicked off like people looking at martial arts and everything. And, you know, you've had movies and so forth. But then also the turtles were showing with kids and how it could be cool to learn things. And I remember one um, year, 1989, there was actually uh, we had a parade in Sycamore, the Pumpkin Festival, and they had the local martial arts place, which had like a really big hit in um, attendance and so forth. A lot of these kids were using actually bow staffs and nunchucks and some people were using safe thing. There was also an adult woman. She was actually using, you know, Raphael signature worm and Psy or Zai's as the plural form is known and they were doing really amazing things with this and actually one of the teachers had said that he had his own kids were watching the cartoon and even though he was a martial artist he would actually show them like you know here's what they do in the tv show but here's how you really use these items as a defensive this is how they can be offensive this is how they can disarm this is how you can protect yourself and it really just got into a little thing for various sparches from kickboxing to my tie to taekwondo and so forth and there was also a more focus on olympic sports even though it had been part of that, like Taekwondo and stuff, it started having big resurgence of uh, focus on that and professional sports and everything, just kind of like how skateboarding and esports are starting to be a big part in this culture. So there was just these many, many culture shifts pretty much into the late 90s when uh, the series went off the air in 97 and, you know, everything else happened. But, you know, um, you know, kids grew up and even though there were still, you know, teenagers and young adults, because like um, when the series went off, I was 19 and, you know, there was actually a launch of a new live action series, which actually kind of tried to take a little place after the cartoon and the live action movies where they introduced the fifth turtle, which was Venus de Milo, a female turtle, because there was actually five turtles in the bowl, not four from the original origins. And it was interesting because she was a Nanyaki, which was actually a martial artist mystic because she was raised in more Zen in areas to more of the magic side of ninjutsu and as well as the Kelshinald clans, which the turtles were based off. But the series was really not that good. Um, it had nothing to do with the voice actors, but they just kind of went too far with a lot of things. Um, they introduced a new set of villains, um, the Dragon Clan, which was actually pretty cool. But I, I don't know what happened. I mean, you had these annoying villains that just did some very strange motivation. At least with the dragons, you understood they ruled the world. They were free. And the turtles were staying in front of them. But they had this one poacher who was, believe it or not, <laughs> double thing between voice actor John Salen and Frank Welker doing the voice. And, you know, Frank Welker did tons of characters on the original Ninja Turtles, you know, our buddy old Megatron and everything. But 
Oh, man, it just was not a good series. And there wasn't even a crossover with the 1998 Power Rangers and Space series, which was more of a fan service. But I think they were trying to <laughs> salvage all the money and stuff they spent on the next mutation, as it was called for Ninja Turtles. And oh, man, it just <laughs> it just didn't good. And basically, the Turtles faded into kind of obscurity from the late 90s to early 2000s. And then 2003, uh, Fox Kids um, tried to get with an animated series, more embrace with the uh, original comic series and launches from the various ones, as well as a little bit from the animated series. And uh, actually was a big hit for a while. Um, so Teenage Mutant Turtles kind of had this small thing. My younger siblings, my two brothers especially, because they, they were 12 and 13 years younger than me, actually really got into the series, the voice acting, everything. It was actually a good series. And then, you know, the Nickelodeon got the rights. The Teenage Mutant Turtles 3D Man animation movie came out, which, believe it or not, Patrick Stewart's actually one of the main bad guys in it, which is uh, really cool. But um, it kind of started moving more to the traditional parts of the Ninja Turtles and everything else. And they've kind of been back since, you know, relaunch of the Michael Bay two films, um, Teenage Mutant Turtles, as well as Out of the Shadows, which actually brought the live action Krang finally to the big screen that, you know, some people had waited over 20 years for. And it wasn't bad, but, you know, the movie wasn't a big hit and everything else, too. But it was very interesting just how Ninja Turtles, which was this very simple, you know, got started because of a joke between the main creators and a tax return from the one uncle to invest in this and what it launched to. And I think it's really interesting things about don't discourage your main ideas. You know, even the smallest things can erupt into something absolutely amazing. And I think that's one thing that's really once and it evolved over time. I mean, I, one thing that was very true about the Ninja Turtles that Eastland and Parrot all said was it, they, they've kept the try to keep true, but they didn't want it to, you know, as they say, be stuck in the past that wanted to involve in something more. I mean, the current series of Ninja Turtles actually has a fifth turtle again, uh, Janaku, but she was being made a Ninja Turtle due to a trans uh, fusion, but she was a Foot Clan member under Splinter because in this series, uh, Shredder is gone and his uh, daughter is, uh, well, I should say kind of his adopted daughter if you really want to go into that. But um, Karari Saki, which is a um, very interesting series. And I'll talk about that in a little bit with my Ronin review here in a second. But um, it's really interesting how they progress that, where the Foot Clan and the points of the ninjutsu and everything else, too, uh, really, had, really has been more, I should say, embraced than the original sci science fiction uh, aspect of Ninja Turtles, even though it's still part of that. But they've really... Um, really kept into that, which is very interesting of how far the series has gone. Because one thing that many writers always says, you got to have characters progress. And unfortunately, some of us get stuck into thinking the character should always be this way. Like Michelangelo should always be shouting cowabunga. Leonardo should be the more Zen, but high leadership. Ralph should be, you know, the hot headed jerk. And Donatello should always be inventing everything. Like he's MacGyver and Splinter should always be the noble sensei. And the truth is as years have progressed, you know, the turtles have, you know, been on the brink of death. They've been hurt. They've been pushed to the edge. Um, they've actually had to, you know, in the original series, they made the foot soldiers robots so they could actually, you know, break them and destroy them uh, versus later on series where they really were, you know, men in costumes like the original series and they got beat up and believe it or not, some got killed because um, as much as you want to try to think about that, you got trained assassins after you. Um, if you think you're just going to beat them up and they're going to go home and then they're going to come back and you're going to beat up again, like an old cartoon, you, you, you seriously are not aware of exactly how that works. So <laughs> it's interesting how that shifted from being, you know, trying to keep the violence to a minimum to the point that like, you know, it's a little hard to, you know, sh <laughs> say that stuff just does not happen. I remember there was a 
long ago, believe it or not, on Power Rangers, where they were talking to Amy Jo Johnson and David Yost, who were Billy and uh, Kimberly on the series. And they were doing like kind of an after thing of an episode where they were saying Power Rangers get, you know, thing and never get hurt or damaged or they get right back up. And they, you know, <laughs> Amy Jo elbows David Yost in a joking matter, say, when you get hit, it hurts. And then all of a sudden he looks at her like, and he goes, oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but, you know, and sometimes I kind of wonder if, uh, you know, David Yost, if you hear this episode and you're on Instagram, please tell me if it was it was an intended joke or she really did hurt you. I mean, I love you both, but uh, I've always kind of wondered to this day, did she accidentally really hurt you when she elbowed you in that, uh, that shot? But uh, anyhow, but it's interesting that they kept the cr- progression of the series, even with um, Jenica, the fifth turtle, um, which who, believe it or not, has um, sectional size and she has katana experts a little bit like a combination of leonardo and wolverine and she actually has a yellow um bandanas to uh distinct her from the other turtles she's actually a really cool character and uh believe it or not i find her much more relevant and much more engaging believe it or not in a paper comic form than i ever did a venus in the original next mutation nothing against the voice actors don't think because she was a good voice actress and she continues to do plenty of work for current series but the next mutation just was not good <laughs> i'm sorry that's my honest opinion you can leave a voicemail if you disagree but let's get into the real end of all this which really kind of relaunched my uh, love for ninja turtles um not because because of my son, not because of my kids, but because of the last Ronin. Yes, the last Ronin, which was lost by England and Jones in a current series here. But we are uh, launched in uh, several years in the future. And in the series, it begins with uh, our buddy, the Cowabunga dude himself, Michelangelo. He is the last living turtle. All the other turtles have uh, perished and were uh, exterminated by the Foot Clan Link uh, under Oroko. I'm sorry, Oroku Hirato, who is the grandson of Shredder Rakosaki. And he is the, uh, as it's referred to, the son of Karari, you know, Shredder's daughter. But, of course, apparently born out of wedlock. But I think it's kind of a double meaning between um, she had this kid and the fact that they just hate him. Because, I mean, because of him, um, half the, the other turtles are dead. And I'll talk about that in a second here. But basically, Michelangelo decides after a time... Um, that it is time for Hirato to pay for what he has done. So Michelangelo actually breaks into New York, which has now become a dystopian kind of place, kind of a Neo Nala area thing. that's surrounded, cut off from the rest of the world. Like the outside's toxic and everything else. Um, And he basically gets into the foot controlled New York and infiltrates what's known as the zone, because basically New York in this time loan is developed into three, uh, three areas, high, middle and low. And I'm, I should say high, uh, as April says in the series bottom and then below bottom, which is like the sewers and everything else too so he basically infiltrates it he steals a motorcycle from a young woman who is referred to as jones which i'll talk about in a little bit and rides it so far that he gets into hirato's compound and he crashes into a tanker truck to cause a distraction he actually gets into the base but he ends up fighting various things like the mousers robotic foot clans real uh human foot clan soldiers and believe it mikey's going to a really good area but when he gets uh close to almost taking out uh hirato because he's basically he's really like footsteps away from entering the main room and Hirato is actually watching this and telling him that he can't believe there's a Ninja Turtle still alive because he thought he took those all out but he's like saying to his men either you put his head on a pike or I'm putting your head on the pike and Michelangelo's just so close and just unfortunately things happen he gets knocked out of the drunk and he gets um, knocked out from very badly injured from the mouser and the robot and human foot clan members and basically he 
goes back to the sewers being followed, but basically is horribly injured. Michelangelo is he's bleeding and basically he realizes he's failed. He's failed his brothers to avenge their death. He has failed splinter his father and he's going to perform some coup, which is basically, you know, the um, ninja thing of ritual suicide from for honor. And he basically puts up all the things saying how much he misses his brothers, everything. He puts their bandanas, all the weapons, which he has had on his things and he's about to, but before he can, drive um leonardo's broken katana into him he passes out from blood loss and that woman jones finds him shocked saying it's a mutant turtle and he wakes up uh, kind of like what looks like to be um he's younger he's with his other brothers talking and he's talking to them basically in the version of afterlife and they tell him that you know it's not time and that he didn't fail them and then all of a sudden michelangelo wakes up to a much more older april o'neill who actually says where have you been, Michelangelo? And basically revealing his, but you know, it's very interesting. So Michelangelo, you know, kind of injured. They're actually in the old Ninja Turtle base, which is, believe it or not, been forgotten and not remembered at all by the Foot Clan. And April's been living there, and we find out she's missing her left arm and one of her legs. Uh, they've been cybernetically replaced, and of course, April's much older. And Michelangelo kind of goes back to what led him to where he is now. Um, he flashbacks to actually the death of Splinter when they were attacked going to Thanksgiving dinner between April O'Neil and Casey Jones, who, uh, you know, good old um, hockey mask warrior. Um, they've married. And what happens is they're getting ready for Thanksgiving and they come in. They had been ambushed by the foot claim by, of course, uh, by uh, Shredder's daughter, Karari. And Splinter is just so horribly injured and he basically is bleeding. And they can't save him. And Raphael tracks them down and goes and fights these foot clan members one on one and actually goes up battling Karari. And Karari him just and it's, it's a very big nod to Daredevil between like Elektra and Daredevil and Bullseye. And it's just an incredibly sad, dark moment. Raphael battles Karari and he stabs her in the back because we found out in issue one. She's like in a cryo chamber that her son is talking about. But we don't know if she's really alive or in a coma, but he stabs her in the back with his sigh. And um, but beforehand, she takes her blade and sticks him in the neck. And sadly, it kills Raphael. So we find out how Raphael died first because of his hotheadedness and everything else. But the Foot Clan members saved uh, Karari. So that's kind of where we got where she is. And Michelangelo goes over all this. And we found out the young woman who saved Michelangelo is actually Casey Marie Jones, who is April and Casey's daughter. And we find out that both Casey Jones, the actual senior, I should say, has died. We don't know yet why, but she basically explains how she's learned and everything they are living in here. And actually, Michelangelo talks about what happened to him that after um, Leonardo and Donatello died and he thought April and Casey were gone. Um, he basically left New York. He was broken and injured. And he's, he says he went to the mountains, even though he says, I don't know why, because I never really knew the snow and everything. He basically out in the snow in the mountains started uh, taking his splinters books and refocusing. He trained himself with other martial. He kind of found an inner peace with things. And as he got older, he mutated more. He got stronger. He got bigger. He was a little thing. Cause that was one thing he was talking about with his fall before Casey finds him that that would, that would have killed him when he was younger. And they basically say that his mutation of apparently has changed where he's much more hulking and has more higher bone because he's almost healed from his injuries from his fall, even though he had such blood loss. And he ends up telling Casey more that there was a bunch of people that came to him, found him and basically tried to attack him and he took them all out. 
And he realized then he had to return to New York and make things right. He had to end the feud between the two clans that had been broken because of Katari and Hakartu. So he decided to go back to New York, but he decided he was probably going to be his last mission. He knew he probably was never going to come back from this. And he took the point of the Ronin as basically a masterless samurai. So that's kind of where it ends with issue two. And also find out a little bit more. We're going to find out how Leonardo and, um, Casey died and we're going to find out exactly uh, how April lost her foot and leg. And because uh, it's really interesting because at the end of the series, um, April is going to a secret safe and she's pulling out the head of a fugitoy, which is an Android from the original series and cartoon, which was done from professor Honeycutt, um, where they had the memories transferred into it. And the fugitoids actually been used in the creation of the long known Ninja turtle character, Metalhead, as well as transfer of consciousnesses of Donatello and other turtles too. So it's really interesting how that's going into, but it's just, was an amazing series. I unfortunately did not pick up the original print of issue one. I think it retails for like 200 bucks on eBay now. Um, but I did get the uh, reprint and I picked up issue two and it's a really good series. It's eight ninety nine, just so you know, um, it's been delayed because of uh, COVID of course, and printing and of course artists changing, but it's an incredible series issues. One and two directors cuts coming out next month here. This is being recorded end of February. Um, and uh, issue three is scheduled for May, but um, not only that sell out and the change and everything, but it was uh, the issue two was the biggest printing over 130,000 copies of paper. In fact, actually, they couldn't print anymore. It was too much to because there's still limited resources um, as we kind of slowly come out of the COVID pandemic. So it's a hit series and it's just a really good. I have to say, definitely uh, pick it up. If you're ever a Ninja Turtles fan or you want to really talk about more of the kind of feel the dystopia or as well as the points of martial arts and clans and feuds, I have to say Last Ronin's really beautifully um, doing that. So I highly recommend picking up that series um and that's really all i have left to say on this episode um on this but i'm gonna tell you, you no know, ninja turtle has been an amazing thing um believe it or not when i was in little league baseball i was uh in baseball bat and i actually had two strikes against me and in the last strike the last pitch was coming i knew it was going to be a strike so i had two options that was either go for it or not and actually i hit it and said turtle power and i hit a double at that and <laughs> I got mocked at for years about calling that, even though a lot of uh, my my teammates and friends were Ninja Turtle fans, boys and girls. But I kind of never lived that down for a couple of years. But it's so funny as so many years later, a lot of those kids just kind of say like, you know, it's kind of cool you did that because I think we were just afraid what people think that maybe we were watching a cartoon and that wasn't cool because we were much older by then and much more mature. And it's really interesting how... Um, we can worry about ourselves thinking we look stupid or we like things. I mean, I remember when I got back in comics in 1994, the reason why I stopped reading comics back in the late 80s was because it wasn't cool anymore. Why were you reading comic books, Spider-Man or Transformers or G.I. Joe or Green Lantern? It's not cool. You're a little old for comics, aren't you? You're almost 12. And now, look at that. We got streaming series. We got movies, comics, TV. And it seems to be everybody's not afraid of that right now, but it's really on that so remember guys don't be afraid to listen to that always be good and always be cultured and you know on that note i think i'm going to call it it for this episode of the pixel classroom podcast so i hope everybody has a great day i will see everybody alone and um and we got some amazing people coming up in march so if you have any questions remember we're on your favorite um podcast streaming systems so please leave us a message or a review and i will talk to everybody later 